Holy Father, your handprints are all over us because you're the creator and we're your creatures and your children and it is good to bask here in your presence and know that your throne is high and lifted up. We have sung of your sovereignty today, your majesty and your holiness and your love and our hearts are full. You have a teaching for us because it's not enough for us to commune to you. You have got to speak to us in worship as well. This is two-way. And so through Holy Scripture today, please, as we launch a new series, let the teaching be clear. Only your, only your fingerprints, dear Father, and just your voice deep within us. Just your voice. We pray together in Jesus' name. Amen. To illustrate to you how jittery this world has become, even over the summer, I need to tell you about a bus ride that Karen and I took in uh, just outside of London, England, back in July. We were over there for ASI Europe, and I had a, a weekend preaching series to do with those business leaders from across Europe. And before the meetings began that evening, Karen and I took a, a city bus into a, a a city called Bracknell. Maybe you've never heard of it, but a nice little English town. And we got on the bus and some rambunctious school kids got on the bus with us. And so I figured that's why we were hearing this recording. Because no sooner had the kids gotten on the bus than this PA, it's just a pre-recorded voice, speaks out over the intercom system of the city bus in a very proper English male accent. And he spoke words I had never heard before, and so I had my bus ticket, and I'm carrying this in my wallet, and so I scribbled it down on the back of this bus ticket, because the, the voice over the PA says, this bus is under attack, please dial 999. Now 999 is their equivalent of our 911, our emergency number. This bus is under attack. It kept repeating, please dial 999. And I'm looking around at everybody. It looks fairly normal, the people on this bus. This bus is under attack. Please dial 999. As we're now driving down the road, I'm realizing that the people outside of the bus are hearing the same recording. And the poor bus driver, he is pounding the dash trying to get this pre-recorded message off. Because it somehow accidentally got on. Now, guys, we laugh, but let me tell you what. I never knew this before, but just a year ago when we were there, in fact, they had a minute, Big Ben told at noon the next day, one minute of silence across the United Kingdom because of the terror attacks exactly a year earlier on the double-decker bus, you remember, and on the subway. So, you know, we laugh. They well, come on. They now have all their city buses equipped so that in a moment of emergency, that driver can reach over and just push this button and he can alert the whole world around the bus. We are under attack. Somebody call 999. We got off that bus. By the way, I took a picture of the bus. I want you to see it. It's a beautiful little English bus. It's advertising a movie on the back entitled Spellbreaker. And I thought, boy, that's appreciated because that's what, that's what that bus was. It broke the spell. Can you imagine city buses now equipped for terrorism attacks? The driver said as we were getting off the bus, he said, I saw three people pull up their cell phones and dial 999. He says, it's a wonder the police haven't found us yet. <laughs> What's the point, ladies and gentlemen? I'll tell you what the point is. The point is very simple. 
given the events of the last few weeks and months on this planet, we are living in a civilization where 999 or 911 has become the operative number anymore. Coincidentally, just days after we were there, Scotland Yard arrested 20 English terrorists because of an alleged plot to blow up 10 transatlantic flights from England to the United States. Days later, the Israeli-Hezbollah war breaks out. I'm telling you what, after just this summer, you might as well re-record that message. This world is under attack. Please dial 999. We're starting to hear them, folks. We are starting to hear them. Rumors from the East. We launch a brand new series today and with that title, Rumors from the East. They're growing louder and louder. And in this series... Not coincidentally, not coincidentally tied to my friend Doug Batchelor's most amazing prophecies that begins two weeks from last night. Doug and I are both moving into prophecy this semester. You know why? Because as two preachers of the Bible, we have come to recognize, and I'm going to blame us baby boomers. Don't you feel like I'm blaming you? It is not your fault. But those of us who are baby boomers and who have children, it's our fault. We got so burned with prophecy, so tired of hearing prophecy being preached, that as a defensive mechanism, we baby boomers have backed off. And we have now raised, I'm sorry, but we have raised now a prophetically illiterate generation in our community of faith. Prophetically illiterate. Most of you don't know diddly squat about prophecy. It's true. You don't. Because nobody has spent time with you. So Doug's coming two weeks Nine nights in a row. You're gonna, you'll never be the same again because of that Bible teaching. And I hope that this little series will take us only halfway through the semester, bookended on either side of Doug Batchelor, will be helpful for you as well. We're going to go today, for example, to a prophecy. Most of you have never read this chapter in the Bible. We'll read the chapter together today. The book of Daniel. Open your Bible, please, to the book of Daniel, chapter 10. Daniel, chapter 10. These will be obscure prophecies that we go to, by the way, because some of you, some of you wizened old veterans are saying, there's nothing in this for me. We're going to go to prophecies you haven't been to. We're going to go deep into the Bible. It's time for a new generation to reclaim its prophetic heritage. You're the generation. And you've never read Daniel 10 before, so today you're going to read it in church. I'm going to be in the New King James Version, which incidentally will be the version that my friend Doug will be in. Pastor Doug will be in the New King James. That's the Pew Bible. It's the New King James. I want to invite you to select a translation. It doesn't matter to me which one you pick. You can pick the New International. I love that one. But pick a Bible that you are now going to begin to mark up. Your Bible is going to change. Its appearance will change. You're going to get study guides for all our Sabbath morning teachings, and Doug will have handouts as well. Bring your same, the same old Bible that you're used to, and let that be the one that you... That, that you go to in these teaching times. So I'm going to be in the New King James for this entire teaching series. I think on the balance, it's going to be the most effective translation for us. Daniel chapter 10, page number. If you, ha- if you didn't bring a Bible, we'll put it on the screen, but please don't take the screen's word for it. I want you to read it from your pew Bible, and that would be page 604. Pull your pew Bible out, page 604. Everybody's got a Bible today. Daniel chapter 10, verse 1, in the third year of Cyrus, everybody's heard of Cyrus, Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel whose name was called Belteshazzar. How do you like that? That boy has two names. Do you know why he has two names? 
Because he's a captive, that's why. Got the second name for being taken into exile. I mean, come on, guys. Those of you that are freshmen, because Daniel was 18. We know that Daniel was 18 at the time of his arrest and captivity. So you try to imagine this. The rest of us can plug into his sandals as well. Try to imagine you're just getting ready to go off to college, 18 or 19 years of age. Terrorists raid your hometown and in the middle of the night kidnap you from out of your own bed, gag you, bound, they bind you, toss you in the back of a trunk, trunk's driven to a truck, truck is driven to a plane, plane flies, flies who knows where, and when it's all taken off, you discover that you are now the resident of a foreign nation. You are given a foreign name belonging to a foreign God from a foreign religion that you are now required to attend. You are sent to foreign schools with a foreign language in order that you might one day serve a foreign government. Some of you international students are saying, you know what, that's exactly how it was coming to Andrews University. <laughs> that was Daniel. 18 years of age, chapter 1, 605 B.C., taken into captivity. Seventy years later, we come to Daniel 10. 70 plus 18, he is 88 years of age. But way back here at the age of 18, Daniel said, I may be a captive, but I am not going to serve my captor's God. I will always belong to the God of Israel. The God of the Redeemer, the God of the Creator, the God who is the God, Almighty God of the universe. But you think about it, guys, 70 interminable years. You're never going to see your mom and dad again. Never going to see mom and dad again. Be like you could never go home. You're here at Andrew, you'll never go home again. Never see your own bedroom again. Never, never see your baseball card collection again. Never. 70 years, you're gone. You're now 88 years of age. That's Daniel. And by the way, Daniel's name, God is my judge. That's what it means in the Hebrew. Go ahead and call me Belteshazzar, named after Bel, the Babylonian God. You may call me after your God, but I have a name and my God is my judge. Every time Daniel whispered his name to himself because nobody else called it that way, he would whisper, but I am Daniel. God, El, the God is my judge. He never forgot. Daniel chapter 10, verse 1, And in the third year, Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel, whose name was called Belteshazzar. The message was true, but the appointed time was long, and he understood the message and had understanding of the vision. Daniel is about to receive the most comprehensive and detailed prophecy recorded anywhere in Scripture. It's not just Daniel 10. It's also Daniel 11. It's also Daniel 12. It's the longest in the whole Bible. It will be his final prophecy. It's the last prophecy he will write before he dies of old age. This is it. Do you know what the prophecy is about? Verse 1 that we just read is actually a one-sentence summarization of this long prophecy. But I must tell you here, we've just started with the New King James. The NIV actually more accurately renders this verse. And so I want to put the NIV on the screen. One-sentence summary of this longest of all prophecies. Its message was true. And it concerned, say it with me, it concerned a what? A great war. In fact, that summation is so critical, I wish you'd write it down. Take out your study guide. Do you have one in your worship bulletin this morning? By the way, do you like the new worship bulletins? I hope you get to like them. If you have any suggestions, you know... We, we gave you an email address there. You send us. You let us, let us uh, hear from you. Open up your worship bulletin. There is a brand new study guide. Now, look, at a bunch of you came in with one bulletin, so that means the ushers know what to do. Hold your hand up because there is some 
There are some key teachings here that you must get. Hold your hand up. We'll make sure you get it. And while they're doing that, those of you watching on television right now, let me put our website on the screen and you can go and get the same the identical study guide. www.pmchurch.tv You see it there on the screen. Go to that website. If you're watching a DVD, the neat thing is you can just put your DVD on pause right now. Lock that uh, website on your screen. Go to your computer and go to the web and download the study guide. You will have the identical study guide as we do. And you'll have the answers even at the bottom. And so that's all there for you. We'll give you a moment to do that. Hold your hand up in the balcony. You want to make sure everybody gets today's teaching as we launch this new series, Rumors from the East. And by the way, those of you going to the web, that's what you've got to go for. You look for the series, Rumors from the East. This is part one. Rumors from the East, part one. Click on there and you'll get your uh, study guide. All right, let's fill it in. Study guide uh, right there at the top of the study guide. You see it? Yeah, let me get mine here. All right, there it is. Fill it in, please. Daniel 10. You have to write in the number 10. Daniel 10 is the introduction to the longest and most comprehensive prophecy in all of Scripture, all the Bible. Jot that down, please. Keep your pen moving. It is summarized. Daniel 10 is summarized with this sentence. Its message was true and concerned a great war. Daniel 10.1 NIV. Write in the word war. Now, I love the American English because what we do is we take a noun and we turn it into a verb. We do it all the time. And so I'm going to now use a, a noun that, I've, that we've all turned into a verb. Google. When you Google, all right, sounds dumb, doesn't it? When you Google the words World War III, go to your web and do that. You will be as astounded as I was to discover how often those words World War III are now appearing on the lips of the, the talking heads, the political commentators, you know, politicians. Just this last week, it's in your study guide, just this last week, the, uh, what's, what's this called, the Angus Reid Global Scan released a poll. Get this, 42% of American respondents think humanity is headed towards World War III. And 20% believe it has already begun. Isn't that amazing? Just as a result of this summer. Rumors from the East. And I know what you're thinking of when you think of those rumors from the East. You're thinking, oh, come on, Dwight. What is it going to be? Iran today. Iraq next Sabbath. Israel the following Sabbath. Islam the fourth. Those are four great eyes. You are right. And I tell you what. A media-fed public is developing anxiety over those four great eyes. Israel, Iran, Iraq, and Islam. But I need to tell you, I need to be really upfront with you. These rumors that we are now hearing, growing louder and louder, straight out of ancient prophecy, these rumors do not have to do with the four eyes of our preoccupation today. No, 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 no. It's going to come from another direction. That's all a distraction. That's all a distraction. Look, at World War III may come. I have no idea. But the rumors from the East are not about World War III either. Another set of rumors in the midst of all of this, that we have to begin to hear clearly. All right, let's go to verse 2. So in those days, okay, third year of Cyrus, in, this is verse 2. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. What did he do during, during those three full weeks? Verse 3, I ate no pleasant food, no meat or wine came into my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. What's happening here? Daniel has heard some rumors from the west. Because you see, he's in Babylon. And to the west of Babylon is home, Jerusalem. 
Now, Daniel purposely puts the date, the third year of Cyrus the king, so that we know that he knows that there's trouble brewing at home. Because Daniel watched as this mighty Medo-Persian king pronounces an edict and says, that handful, that ragtag band of exiles, you may go back. You may begin to rebuild your city. But it's gone bad for that ragtag band. And Daniel is worried, sick over rumors from the West. And so he sets to praying. He sets out to do what Daniel does best whenever he runs into a crisis. Write this down, please. When Daniel is faced with a crisis, he goes to his knees. Over and over and over again in the book of Daniel, he goes to his knees. In fact, jot these down. I kind of liked how this looked like a side of a pyramid. You can only do that in the English language, but jot these down. Crisis, chapter, Daniel chapter 1. Crisis over a diet. Write that down. Crisis over morality concerning the body temple. I like that little uh, expression we saw a moment ago on the sanctuary. When I think of sanctuary, I think of my body temple. Not a bad thing to think about. Crisis over diet. Daniel goes to his knees. Daniel 2, crisis over a dream. Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Big crisis. You're going to be dead if you don't tell me the dream. Crisis number 3 is from uh, Daniel chapter 6. That's over a decree. Remember the decree? For 30 days, 30 days, nobody prays to anybody but the king. Daniel kneels down and prays to his God still three times a day. Crisis number four, Daniel chapter nine, is crisis over a decision. God, what are you going to decide about the holy people, Israel? And crisis number five, we just read it. It's crisis over difficulty. Some of you are going to have difficulty back at home, a long ways away from where you are in the school year. It's going to be a crisis for you. Stuff is happening in your parents' marriage. Stuff is happening back at home. And it's going to be a crisis for you here. You're going to have to do like Daniel did. You've got to go to your knees. When you come to a crisis, you go to your knees. Because there are times when the only potent recourse for you and me is to fast and pray. Some of you right now are in a private crisis. Can you believe this? The year is just days old and you're already in a private crisis. Not all of you are students. Some of you have a private crisis going on right now. Nobody, nobody knows about it but you and God. Maybe nobody needs to know about it but you and God, but that doesn't matter. You know. I just want to appeal to you, my friend, as I appeal to myself. I hope, I hope we are not of this self-sufficient mindset that says, ha, you know what? God already knows about my trouble. I'm not going to get all Twitter-pated in prayer over this thing. I'll just let Him handle it. No, 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 no. If it's a crisis, it's a crisis. And if it's important to you, it's important to God. You better talk to God earnestly about that crisis. That's what Daniel does. Daniel goes to his knees. In fact, here's the lesson to Daniel. Whether you're 18 or 88 or somewhere in between, the lesson to Daniel is when life gets in your face, you get on your knees. That's the lesson. Life gets in your face, you get on your knees. Humble your heart before God. Admit to Him. You know what, God? I can't pull myself out of this one. Nope. There's no way I can do it. Please help me right now. By the way, that's why here in the Pioneer Memorial Church where I'm pointing, that banner right there, forward on our knees because our mission statement begins with a recognition that only God is able to help us fulfill the greatest dream and vision and passion of life. Forward on our knees, it begins. And by the way, please note this. Jot this down. You can practice a modified fast, a modified fast, just like Daniel did. Write in the word modified, because did you notice from reading verse 3, he did not resort to total abstinence from food. He went ahead and kept eating. It says here, I left off pleasant food. What's pleasant food? That would be desserts. <laughs> Sorry. 
You know, it's not a bad idea once in a while. Just cut off desserts. You don't need all that sugar pumping through your system. We got a new ice cream. We got a new ice cream place in town since you were gone. Did you notice that? Don't you go. I'm going to be driving around there seeing who's there. Actually not looking forward to getting there maybe over this uh, holiday weekend. <laughs> but anyway, I just ruined that whole point, didn't I? So anyway, he fasted from pleasant food. You know, some of us could just, yeah, just lay off for a while. No, he didn't quit eating. He said, no, I'm going to leave off all that sugar content. Why? I have to have a clear mind. And it also says he fasted from meat and wine. Now, some scholars believe, including my friend Jack Ducan, that in fact what Daniel's saying is, I didn't take the Paschal, the Passover lamb, and I didn't drink the four cups of obligatory wine. I, it's, because we know from the date, it's the spring. Passover probably is going on during the three weeks, but he says, I am so earnest, God, over this, I'm not even going to celebrate the Passover. Who feels like celebrating now? He withholds himself from the Passover. And one more thing it says here, he did not anoint himself, which meant he did not take the equivalent of a bath which nobody, by the way, is recommending for you. Please, we've got to worship with you. Three weeks and no bath, please. I won't even sing in a choir if you haven't taken a bath, kid. Point is, Jesus says, Jesus comes along with a Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, 17, and Jesus says, I want to tell you the truth about fasting. He says, when you fast, don't stop. You just go ahead and anoint, wash your face and anoint your head. Put on your cologne. Don't walk around like a human wreck when you're fasting. Just look normal. Look normal. You don't have to do like Daniel did. But Daniel said, I'm so... Daniel, did, Dan, Daniel didn't fast in order to get God's attention. God doesn't need fasting to get his attention. He already has his eye. If his eye is on the sparrow, his eye is on you. He doesn't need fasting to get your attention, to, for you to get his attention. Daniel did it for mental acuity's sake. I have to think clearly as I pray to you. So an 88-year-old man went three weeks on a modified fast. 88 years old. Oh, and notice how God honors at the end of those three weeks. Look at this. This is a pick it up in verse 4. Now, on the 24th day of the first month, Nisan, spring, as I was by the side of that great river, that is the Tigris, 50 miles south of the Euphrates, south of Babylon, is the Tigris River. I lifted up my eyes, verse 5, and I looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, white linen. A moment ago, we sang to Jesus, our high priest. Remember that song? He was dressed in white linen. This is the garb of the high priest. White. Pure white. I see this man in white linen, not just any old linen, whose waist is girded with the gold of Uphaz. And verse 6, his, his body was like burrow, which is a yellowish hue. His body was like burl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like torches of fire, his arms and feet like burnished bronze in color, and the sound of his words like the voice of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. For the men who were with me didn't see the vision, but a great terror fell upon them so that they fled to hide themselves. Therefore, verse 8, I was left alone when I saw this great vision, and no strength remained in me, for my vigor was turned to frailty in me, and I retained no strength. And finally, 9, yet I heard the sound of his words. And while I heard the sound of his words, I was in a deep sleep on my face with my face to the ground. Write it down. Daniel has just been granted a vision of Almighty God himself. He has seen God. And he says, I'm dead. How do we know? Keep your pen moving. Because the accounts of Ezekiel 1 and Revelation 1 offer the very same portrayal. Three theophanies, an old word that means the manifestation of God. Three appearances. And all three describe this being the same way. 
You can look up Ezekiel 1 sometime in your leisure, but right now I want to show you. This is why I wanted to make sure you get the study guide. This is fascinating. I want to share with you some stunning parallels between Daniel the prophet in Daniel 10 and John the revelator in Revelation 1. Stunning parallels. Keep your pen moving. Seven of them. Here we go. Parallel number one. Both men are in their late 80s. Isn't that amazing? Both men, late 80s. Perhaps early 90s for John. We're not sure with him. Daniel, we know, 18 at the age of exile. Both men are in their late 80s. Number two, both are in exile. Both of them. Patmos, Penal Connolly, and Babylon, city of, uh, of exile. Number three, both are beside the water. The, the, the blue-green agency for John and Patmos, and then the roaring Tigris for Daniel. Number four, most, most of you did not know this at all. Most of you did not know this. Number four, both received their vision on the seventh-day Sabbath. Seventh-day Sabbath. Both visions of God come on the Sabbath. You say, prove it to me. Glad you asked. Here we go. In Daniel chapter 10, verse 2, put it up again, Daniel 10, verse 2. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. The Hebrew literally reads three weeks of days. In other words, it's at the end of a three-week cycle. It has to be the seventh-day Sabbath. has to be, according to the Hebrew. Now, what day was John worshiping on when he received his vision? Let's put Revelation, Revelation 1.10. What day? Revelation 1.10. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet. So here's the question. John says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Question, what day is the Lord's day? Let's put it up now. Guys up there in the booth, there you go. What day is the Lord's day? The Bible is clear. Only one day of the week. Watch this. You have it in your study guide. Mark 2, 28. Let's put that verse on the screen. Jesus speaking. Therefore, the Son of Man is Lord of what day? What day? Say it to me. He's Lord of the Sabbath day. So, Mark 2, 28 is clear. The Sabbath is the Lord's day. Let's see if the Old Testament agrees. Isaiah 58, 13. Take a look at this. God speaking. If you turn away from your foot, turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on whose, whose day? My holy day. And you call the Sabbath a delight. The holy day of whom? Of whom? Of the Lord. The Lord's day, ladies and gentlemen. Unequivocally clear in Scripture, when the Bible calls it the Lord's day, it's the Sabbath day. The seventh day Sabbath. Both John and Daniel received their vision on the Sabbath. Here comes parallel number five. Both are visited personally by Christ. Write that down. The, the, the descriptions in Daniel 10 and Revelation 1 are too similar. It's the same Christ that shows up to his two dear elderly friends. That's good news, by the way, for this Andrews University Church, the Pioneer Memorial Church, that very obviously is focused on the young. I want you who are young adults to listen very carefully, please. I want you to look around. Look around you right now. The reason you are surrounded by people of all ages is because that is an intentional strategy to keep you immersed in a real, live community of faith. Now, we have other universities that will take all the young adults and put them in a corner somewhere else, away from the church. You just worship by yourself. You sing your own songs. You pray to your own God, and we'll go ahead and have church over here. But we have refused to, sub to subscribe to that kind of mentality. We want the entire community immersed together because when you leave this place there will be no young adult choir at the front of that 60 member church trust me it's you five elderly ladies <laughs> mm. 
Now there'd be wonderful people wherever you go. But the point is, that's why we're all here together. And you know why? The truth is, the older you get, the older you get, the closer you grow to Jesus. That's why we're keeping you around old people. Because the older you get, the closer you get to Jesus. And you need to be around people who are close to Jesus. Hallelujah. That's why we don't segregate you here. By the way, same for House of Prayer. When we gather here in House of Prayer, we don't have a prayer meeting for the young and a prayer meeting for the old. When we gather on Wednesday nights, it's everybody to pray. Everybody for a few minutes of Bible study. Everybody together. Why? Because we're in the journey together. And by the way, this Wednesday night, we're starting a brand new House of Prayer series. Brand new. Getting ready for Doug. We're calling this series Finding Jesus in DNR. DNR. That, that would mean Daniel and Revelation. Finding Jesus. Because you know what? A little lady about a century ago wrote some very interesting words. She said, when, when this particular community of faith gets serious about those two books, DNR, Daniel and Revelation, there will arise within the community a great revival. Ladies and gentlemen, this world is under attack. Please dial 999. It seems to me it would be the right time for a great revival. What do you say? Amen. So let's get serious about the book. Come and join me this Wednesday night. We'll, be, we'll have you out of here before 8 o'clock. A little bit of teaching time. All right. Okay, back to the uh, stunning parallel. So this is, par- this is stunning parallel number six. The similarities between Daniel and... Uh, and John. Both are visited personally by Christ and notice this, both fall on their faces. Identical response. They fall on their faces before Him. And finally, number seven, both hear the words, do not be afraid. Oh, I love that. Some of you are not certain what this new year is going to bring. I tell you what, nobody knows what it will bring to the planet. We didn't know about Katrina last year. We didn't know about Israel and the Hezbollah this summer. We have no idea what's coming ahead. But I love that admonition. You don't have to be afraid when you've got God. Don't be afraid. The living, the living, the living Christ says don't be afraid. All right. Moving to the punchline now. Here comes the punchline in verse 13. But I've got to start with verse 10. Suddenly a hand touched me. Okay, so he's deep, on, he's deep in sleep on the face. He's like he's dead, and he's on his face on the ground. A hand touched me, which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands. So you can picture him. He's on all fours. And he, this, this person, says to me, O oh, Daniel, man greatly beloved, the moment we hear those words, we know who it is, because it's the language of Gabriel. Gabriel has met Daniel before, and he called him, You're, you're our beloved friend. How'd you like to be a friend of heaven? Would you like to be a friend of heaven? You are a friend of heaven. You need to start thinking of yourself as a friend of heaven. This is my beloved daughter, and I am very well pleased in her. This is my beloved son, and I am very well pleased in him. Heaven loves you. You're not trying to convince heaven to love you. They love you with all their hearts. You're my beloved. Oh, Daniel, Gabriel says, man greatly beloved. From the first day, hold on. No, I I jumped ahead. Verse 11. He said to me, oh, Daniel, man greatly beloved, understand the words I speak to you and stand upright. Come on, boy, get on your feet. For I have now been sent to you. And while he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. There go those legs. And then he said to me, verse 12, do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, from the first day we heard you praying, 
Your words were heard and I have come because of your words. But Daniel says, but then why did it take you three weeks? I've been praying for three weeks. And Gabriel says, I've got to tell you why. I've got to tell you why I'm late in getting to you. What you're about to read is the most dramatic one-sentence revelation in the entire corpus of Holy Scripture that pulls the veil aside and allows us to stare at the immense war between heaven and earth. This is the only verse that does it so dramatically. He says, Daniel's saying, why weren't you here 21 days ago if you heard me right at the beginning? He says, I got my reason right here. Verse 13. Here's where we end. But the prince of the kingdom. I was coming to you. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia. By the way, this is the prince, not the king. This is not Cyrus. This is somebody who says Persia is mine. By the way, Jesus in John 14 says, I need to tell you about the devil. He's called the prince of this world. This is the prince. This is an evil prince. This is a demonic prince. This is a prince that says, Berrien Springs is mine. I hold this place. You come here, you come through me. There's a prince that was holding Persia. You come here, you come through me. And Gabriel, who was on his way to Daniel, stops. And for 21, watch this, for 21 days, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days until finally Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me for I had been left alone with the kings of Persia. It's as if Gabriel is saying, hey, Daniel, Daniel, boy, we heard you praying three weeks ago and I was assigned to come to you from God, to bring God's response, but I couldn't because the dark prince of Persia opposed me. He was all over Cyrus the king and the instructions are you've got to save Cyrus. Whatever you do, he's our only hope to get Israel back. And so I had to stay with Cyrus. The battle was so strong. You know what, Daniel? I went three weeks, three weeks, but I could not win until Michael came. Michael just took over, which freed me to come to you, boy. I got the answer for you now. Isn't that amazing? Three weeks. You and I think, oh, come on, heaven. Are you kidding? Are you kidding? For reasons we do not understand, the angelic forces that surround this planet 24-7, and you have a guardian angel standing right beside you now that belongs to the kingdom of heaven, and you have an angel that tracks you like a lion night and day who belongs to the kingdom of darkness. We have two angels always battling for our loyalty and our love. All the time, 24-7. Somebody's saying, I don't have any conflict. No conflict. You don't want to say that. You don't want to say that because if there is no conflict, if there's no warfare going on in your life right now, you've already been kidnapped by the terrorist. And he doesn't trouble you anymore. You're his. You've got to have conflict. It's conflict that reminds us we're on this planet and our loyalty is being battled for. Three weeks later, Michael shows up. By the way, who is this Michael? Come on, let me put it on the screen for you. This is going to, you're going to be clear on this, I hope, by the time we're through. Who is this Michael? Number one, Michael. The name means who is like God. Now, that can be a question, who is like God? Or it can be a statement, who is like God? Wherever Michael goes, people say, hey, who is like God? Michael reminds people of God. Whoever Michael is, we don't know anything else so far, but we know that wherever he shows up, they say, hey, who is like God? 
So that's Michael. We know the meaning of his name. Number two, what do we know? Daniel 10, 13. Jack uh, shared this with me, Dukan. The Hebrew, you know, it says here, one of, the, one of the chief princes, but the Hebrew really reads, the correct translation reads, the first of the great princes. The first of the chief. He's the number one of all the princes. Number one. So what do we know about Michael so far? That's what we know. But let's add a, let's add a verse. Let's add Jude 9. Jude 9. In Jude 9, Michael's called the archangel. So now we know he's an archangel. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. Paul tells us that it will be the voice of the archangel that raises up the dead at the end of time. Let's go to John 5, 28, where Jesus announces, It will be my voice that raises the dead at the end of time. Now, you've learned a little bit about syllogisms and logic already, and you know. The great Protestant reformer, write this down, please. The great Protestant reformer Melanchthon, the sidekick of Martin Luther, himself concluded, based on what we just shared, that in fact Michael is none other than the pre-incarnate Christ. I believe that Melanchthon is right. Absolutely. Keep your pen moving. And what's interesting about, uh, about Michael is that he only appears in apocalyptic literature, Daniel, Jude, and Revelation. Only those three books, you'll find his name. And he always shows up only where there is a battle between the forces of light and darkness. Only where there's a battle, that's where Michael shows up. And by the way, whenever he shows up, get this down, he wins. Every time he wins. He wins when he shows up. Praise God. I love that. The point is, ladies and gentlemen, the point is, forget about Israel, forget about Hezbollah, forget about Iraq, Iran, and the Middle East. We, are, we were already in a massive conflict before they arrived on the scene. 24-7. Giant cosmic controversy swirling around the mind of every man, woman, and child on this planet. Two angels, two angels, two choices, two choices. Not three, just two. There's a little book called Great Controversy based on the teaching of Daniel 10:13, And in this book, in the introduction of this book, one line. I want you to get in your, in your study guide, please. The great controversy between good and evil will increase in intensity. Write it in. It will increase in intensity to the very close of time. Keep your pen moving. In the war that we are in, intensification is the operative strategy of both sides. Both are ratcheting down. Both tightening up. Haven't you noticed life on this planet is intensifying? I mean, come on. Am I I the only one seeing this? Last Sabbath, I was in New Orleans to preach at a church that was devastated by Hurricane Katrina. They put the pews in last Thursday, and then on Sabbath, we worshiped three times. Devastated. They took me to the St. Bernard Parish where there are blocks and blocks of houses abandoned. No electricity. 300,000 people have left New Orleans and have never come back. We've never seen that in the history of the United States. An entire city displaced. Intensity. Nature is intensifying. Politics. War. The economy. Intensify. Intensify. Ladies and gentlemen. That means that God's side is also intensifying its desperate efforts to save the human race. God is intensifying. Which is why two weeks from last night, two weeks from last night, put it on the screen please, my friend Doug Batchelor is going to be here, standing right here for only nine nights. He's just writing this series. You heard Pastor Skip say a moment ago, the most amazing prophecies. Doug is coming because we have, by satellite, we'll be hooked up to the world live. 
Why? Because God is intensifying His efforts to save the human race. You've got a generation not only in this church, but outside the church that is prophetically illiterate, that has no clue about what's coming. Everybody thinks it's over in the Middle East. That isn't it. That's subterfuge. That won't be where the end comes. Trust me. Trust Daniel and John. You'll find out in this Rumors from the East. But you heard Skip make an impassioned appeal, and I'm going to simply add my humble little voice to his. We still need help. We need help in the children's divisions. You know, we had an ice cream feed for the uh, freshmen the other night. A bunch of organizations, and so Pioneer has a little table there. I was amazed how many freshmen came up and on their own asked me, new students, we heard about the Doug Baxter series, can we help? And so I'm handing out these sign-up forms right and left. Praise God. Are you a sophomore? Don't let the freshmen outshine you. Please. Are you a junior? Are you a senior? Say, oh, come on, Dwight, I want to hear Doug. I want to hear Doug. You're going to hear him every morning. You're going to hear him every morning in the week of prayer. You can be praying in the nighttime. We need some of you. You don't have to do it all nine nights. If we can get a rotating crew, you get five friends. Each of you two take two nights. One will have only one. We just need you. So inside your bulletin, there's a little insert. What can I do to volunteer for the Doug Bachelor Series? I wish you'd fill it out. I'll be at that door at the end. Hand me, hand me your filled out form. Just write your name. I'll serve anywhere. Love to work with kids. Why? Intensification. Intensify. Look, look at this, folks. Two sides. Two sides. One strategy. Intensify, intensify, intensify. You know what that means? I'm sitting down. I'm going to sit down right now. But before I sit down, I have to say this. Do you know what that means? That means it's time to intensify. Some of you are, are, are praying 10 minutes a day. I got some good news for you. Because of the hour in which we're living, would you make it 20? Double the time you're spending in prayer. 10 minutes, make it 20. Some of you are reading one chapter in the Bible a day. I mean a week. One a week. I'm suggesting, why don't you just read one story in the Gospel a day? Intensify. Whatever you're doing now. What are you doing in your worship now? Intensify. Intensify. That's the point. Whatever you're doing. Intensify your friendship with Jesus. Intensify, intensify, intensify your relationship with God. You know what some of you are going to do? You're going to be so excited about these prophecies. You're going to form a little study group in the dormitory or in the community. And you're going to have people. You're going to come together, a bunch of students. And you're going to study and pray together. And your lives are going to be watered by the Holy Spirit. One week from last night, all right? One week from last night, 2006 ministry fair called the Conduit this year. Not in the church. If you've been here before, we've had it in the church. No, we're going over to HPAC. Right in the middle of fusion, we're going to have that ministry fair. You say, Pastor, what's the ministry fair about? It's about you intensifying your involvement with the kingdom of the Lord Jesus by getting involved in a volunteer ministry. We'll have over 60 ministries there. You sign up with just one, just one. You sign up and we'll be the richer for it. Intensify, intensify. Because ladies and gentlemen, if I read my Bible correctly, this longest of all prophecies, when Michael does step in this time, it's all over. It's all over except for the shouting. When Michael stands up and steps in, it's curtains. Curtains. Which is why we need to stand for Michael today. We need to stand for Michael today. A little schoolboy. New, new bus schedule in his neighborhood. He's got the schedule all fouled up. Every morning when he goes running out with his little uh, backpack, he's late. This particular morning, cool autumn morning, he still doesn't have the schedule down. And so the boy goes racing out. He is late, but he's going to catch the bus. And as, when, he, when he comes to that bus stop just in time, he sees the red taillights disappear around the corner. He's missed the bus again. 
This neighbor was standing in that driveway and saw the boy, and the neighbor called out to the boy. He said, hey, boy, looks like you didn't run fast enough. Oh, no, sir, the boy called back. I ran fast enough. I just didn't start soon enough. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm not worried about you running fast. This is about the fastest campus I've ever known in my life. It's not about fast now. It's about soon. It's about now. Starting. Start now. Intensify. 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 Now. So the service is over. But I need to make an appeal. If you're a college student here, a university student at Andrews University, I'm going to ask you right now if you would be willing to go on record with me in asking Jesus to do whatever it takes to intensify my friendship with Him. Whatever it takes. You'd be willing to ask Jesus to do that. I want you to stand to your feet. Would you please? If you're a university student, would you just come right here to the front? We're going to close with prayer. Would you come right here to the front? If you're a university student and you want to intensify your relationship with the Lord Jesus, just come right here to the front. You're not promising anything to me. You're saying, Jesus, I want... This is Michael's hour. I want to intensify with you, Jesus. I want to intensify with you. I want to invite you, if you're a faculty member here at Andrews University, you're on the staff, I want to invite you, if you want to join me in intensifying your life this new year in ways we... I don't know how God is going to do all this, but you want to make your life available as I do for the intensification that Christ longs for. If you're a faculty member or a staff member here at this university, I wish you would stand and just step into the aisles if you still can. Just stand. If you can't get into the aisle now, just stand where you are seated. If you're a faculty or staff member and you want to join in that intensification, and I need to appeal to those of us who live in the community because this university is under the direction and the leadership of the mighty Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of Michael. And I want to be a part of something that's happening right here in this midst. And so if you live in the community as I do and you want to commit to that intensification with Christ, would you stand to your feet where you are? Just stand to your feet and say, Jesus, do whatever you wish. I may be just a visitor here today, Jesus, but I I want you to intensify, intensify in my heart and life. Oh, Christ. Holy Father, Mighty Spirit, the new year commences and we stand before You. Even as Michael shall stand up one day, we stand for him today. And we humbly pray that You would take our little old lives. There's nothing special about any of us, but just take little old me and him and her. And would You intensify. Take us deeper this year deeper with You, deeper with with our Heavenly Father than we've ever gone before. Clear the decks. Like Daniel, we want to belong exclusively to You. A generation, Holy Father, a generation for this hour. Seal this moment. Don't let us forget. we got stuff coming, but don't let us forget we made this decision today through the power and for the glory of Michael our Lord Jesus Christ, let all the people say, Amen.